Well, again, welcome everybody. I remember uh, when I was in school studying in science about the various types of clouds. Let me just see, just shout out if you can anybody name a type of cloud? Cirrus, cumulus, okay, yeah. Stratus, okay. All right, great, great. We have a first pet, teacher's pet right there sitting in the front row. Isn't that great? Um, well, there are actually um, many different types. Um, news to me, I thought there were two types, white clouds, black clouds, but learned a lot, a lot of different things. And put that list up there. Take a look at this. Well, I won't read all of them, but that's, that's, those are the main types of clouds. There are even more uh, beyond that. I, my favorite one on that list is Nimbostratus. That sounds like something you'd call your little brother. Uh, when he annoyed you, you know, Nimbostratus, come here. Uh, well, anyway, well, so there's those types of clouds, and then there's the other type of cloud, right? The cloud that stores our data on the internet. I love the cloud, don't know a lot about it, but I like it, use it all the time. It stores, I store all my work on the cloud so I can access it from other computers. I, I, I remember uh, before the cloud, I used to store sermons, for example, on various types of disk or, or thumb, thumb drives. And, uh, and then one morning, uh, my thumb drive broke, and it was about an hour before church, and my sermon was on there. I didn't have a hard copy, and let's just say it was a really interesting Sunday morning that week. Well, this morning, we continue our series, A Beautiful Life, Jesus, by taking a look at a cloud-powered experience, but a different type. And it's an, an experience that Jesus and his three closest disciples had, Peter, James, and John. So let me invite you to launch or turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. It reads like this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up a high mountain and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. This is the word of God for the people of God. This is one of those stunning moments in Scripture that has an extraordinary range of application for us this morning. And what I want us to do is I want us to look at what this cloud-powered moment meant for Jesus and then what it means for us. The mountaintop cloud-powered experience is known as the transfiguration. It is helpful to know how this appears in the flow 
of Mark's gospel to really get the significance. The episode, this episode from the life of Jesus happens a few days after Jesus started warning his disciples that he would have to suffer and die and then be raised again on the third day. He also had started to challenge his disciples that if they really wanted to follow him, that if they really wanted his life, they would have to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. But when they do this, they will find the life that God wants for them, the life that they've always wanted. Now we find Jesus taking his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up with him up the high mountain. Now let me hit the pause button for a second. Jesus had an inner circle, and he shared with them on a deeper level. I've always said that all of us, every one of us, we need a personal board of advisors. We all need an inner circle. People who will stick with us, challenge us, sharpen us, support us. And we see here that it's even good to have an inner circle for those beautiful mountaintop experiences in life. Do you have a personal board of advisors? Do you have three or four people that you can count on to be this for you? For example, who do you call when you really get great news? Other than your spouse if you're married, who do you call? Or who do you call when you get really bad news? Do you have a personal board of advisors? Well, back to our story. During this incredible moment, Jesus' appearance was like lightning. I, I, I love the, 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 the just everyday sort of laundry-type uh, description that Mark gives us. His, he says his, his clothes were whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. That, that's just a fascinating description for me. And he's not just standing there in dazzling white. He is there with two of the greatest leaders from Jewish history, Elijah and Moses. And to top it all off, they were having a little talk with Jesus. Now, let's drill down a little bit and look at the significance of this experience for Jesus and then for me and you. The significance of this experience is that we see the affirmation of both the identity and the mission of Jesus. The identity. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in all of his glory, but to top it off, God broke through the cloud and affirmed him with words that were very similar to his baptism. This is my son whom I love. You know, throughout the Gospels, and we've seen already in this journey through Mark, one of the driving questions that people had about Jesus was, who is he? Who is this guy who can forgive sins? Who is this guy who can heal lepers and, and give the blind, make the blind to see? Who is this who dares to say he's the son of man, which is another way of saying son of God? Now we have God saying in very crystal clear terms, this is my son. So we see his identity being celebrated and established. And then we see his mission. In Luke's account of this moment, he adds a little bit more detail. He writes, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. It says they spoke about his departure. The word for departure there is the word exodus. It means exit, departure, 
And it also means the close of one's career, the, the end, maybe even you might say pinnacle. In history, the Exodus represents the liberation of God's people from oppression and slavery and the pathway to salvation, the pathway to the promised land. Jesus, our ultimate deliverer, our Exodus, has delivered us from the oppression of sin and death and led us into our inheritance, a restored, redeemed creation, our salvation. And the cross that's waiting for him in Jerusalem, the subject about which they were talking, this cross loomed even in this most glorious moment. Think about that for a moment. The cross was the subject of conversation in this most glorious moment, in this moment when he was transfigured, in this moment when Peter, James, and John saw him in dazzling white. The cross was the subject. And in this we are reminded of one of life's great principles. There is no glory without suffering. There is no glory without suffering. Jesus' identity and mission are captured in the, in the connections and the contrast between this moment when he was transfigured, when he was dazzling white, and that moment when he suffered and died on the cross for you and me. David Garland wrote a beautiful contrast, my paraphrase here. The glory revealed on the mountain and in the cloud is a private moment, while the suffering on the cross is a public spectacle. Jesus is surrounded on the moment, on the mountain, excuse me, by two heroes, Elijah and Moses. On the cross, he is crucified between two thieves. On the mountain, his clothes are dazzling white. On the cross, they hang him there naked and gamble for his clothes. Three male disciples view his glory at close range. Three female disciples view his suffering at a distance. A divine voice in the cloud announces his identity. A Roman centurion proclaims he's the son of God after his death. There is no glory without suffering, and we see this most fully in the life of Jesus. What an incredible, incredible moment in the life of our Lord. So what is the significance? What is the so what for us? Let me just share a few. We could, we could do four or five messages on the significance for us, but let me just share a few. One is we just must worship. Jesus. A powerful message from the mountaintop is the unique majesty and magnificence and glory of Jesus. He was God's chosen one. No wonder we're called to worship him and adore him and to revere him. One clear message from this passage is that Jesus is incomparable to others. Peter, as you read in the text, wanted to build three shelters or three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. This was a way of honoring them, all three of them, on equal footing. But the text simply dismisses the idea, and Mark says that essentially Peter was just babbling because he was afraid. In the South, we would look at Peter and just say, you know, bless his heart. You know, he, 
He just didn't get it. Our response is to worship Him in all of His glory. This means when we gather together for worship, we're going in a way to a mountain together. We're setting aside time and space, and He is alone to be our focus, our joy, and our adoration. As followers of Jesus, it is so important that we develop a heart for worship. Just as we would prepare our home for a special guest or just as we might get excited about meeting our, our favorite musician or, or athlete or, or leader, it is crucial that we approach worship in the same way with an even greater sense of anticipation and excitement. We get to encounter the Son of God, the living Lord. And just like every aspect of faith, when we give Jesus what He rightfully deserves, the fullness of our worship, we get so much in return. Worship anything or anyone else, you become less than what God meant for you to be. You lose the life that you pursue. But worship God, and oh my, God blesses you, and God orders your life, and gives you all that you need to joyfully and faithfully follow Him. Worship is God's. We gather here and we worship Jesus. We worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And while it is not meant for us, we are not the audience of worship, it, we get a powerful return on our investment. When we worship God as God truly is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we become fully human. All God meant for us to be when we acknowledge and worship the divine. How is your heart for worship? Do you prepare to meet Jesus when we gather together? Another significance of this is we must learn from Jesus. The voice of God said, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. You know, most parents of teenagers, most spouses might even say, you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? No, you can hear somebody and just flat out not listen. Listening is hearing with humility and a heart inclined for obedience. It is listening to the teachings of Jesus and allowing them to shape our lives. This is my son. Now listen to him. A follower of Jesus is both a worshiper and a learner. We're to follow with both our heart in worship and our head as we learn. To listen to Jesus is to take in his teachings and allow them to be our rule and way of life. Time does not allow a great deal on this subject because this is the subject of the entire series. So let me just ask you, are you listening to Jesus through Scripture? Are you listening to Jesus through the fellowship of His people? Are you listening through Jesus? Are you growing in your applied knowledge of Jesus? That's a difference. Applied knowledge is his teachings becoming your rule and way of life. Another significance we've talked about 
but it's true for us just as it was true for Jesus. There's no glory without suffering. This is true for our lives in almost every area, from athletics to business, but it's critical to grab in this area of faith. Spiritual breakthroughs and mountaintop experiences rarely happen in a vacuum. We rarely just hear the voice of God out of the blue. Often glory comes from listening day in and day out, from praying day in and day out, from following day in and day out. No, technically that is not suffering. Perhaps we would call that enduring with Jesus, but I think you see the point. When we suffer, when we persevere in the faith, He promises us that we will reign with Him in glory. 2 Timothy 2, 11-12 says this, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will reign with Him. I think about the Ukrainian Christians right now who are suffering and yet holding on to Jesus with all of who they are. Their cities are being bombed. Innocent people are losing their lives. Hospitals are being bombed. Can you imagine how this verse sounds to them today? If we endure, we will reign with Him. Yes, we will suffer in this life. And for some of us, suffering may come because of our faith, but we can take heart. He will glorify us and we will reign with Him. And then lastly, and for significance, we must do life with Jesus. Let's reset the scene just for a moment. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the high mountain, a very high mountain. There they witnessed him in all of his glory, and he's sort of hanging out with legends of the faith. Then a cloud surrounds them, and they hear the voice of God. This is my son. Listen to him. And then look at what happens next. The cloud goes away, and all they can see is Jesus. May that be for each one of us. That when everything goes away, even those mountaintop experiences, we still see Jesus. All they could see was Jesus. And then verse 9 says, as they were coming down the mountain. As they were coming down the mountain, he tells them that he must suffer. And then as they were coming down the mountain, he told them what to do, how to live. He taught them. He stayed with them. And as they were coming down the mountain, if you take a look at the next text, and we're going to actually talk about this text next week, but a little leaning in and preview. As they were coming down the mountain, they go down the mountain, and there the disciples are stuck in an argument with the religious leaders. And then all of a sudden, there's this man who brings his son who had been suffering from from uh, possession of evil spirits, and all of a sudden there's a demon shrieking and, and all this kind of stuff. They had this mountaintop experience, and all of a sudden they were coming down the mountain into the messiness of life. And you know what? Jesus was still there. He's there on the mountain, and he's there in the mess. He promises to do life 
with us. We have to promise to do life with Him. We gather on Sunday and we worship God together. It's a mountaintop experience. And we need to be reminded that He goes with us as we follow Him into the mundane of Monday, to the trials of Tuesday, the woes of Wednesday, and the thrills of Thursday, the fears of Friday, and the setbacks of Saturday. The Lord on the mountain is the Lord in the deepest, darkest valley. And he wants you to worship him. And he wants you to walk with him wherever you live, work, and play. To follow him is to take up his life. And in so doing, we find ours. What do you need from this passage today? How does it fall into your heart? Do you need to confess the identity of Jesus? Do you need to receive him as God's son and make him the Lord of your life and listen to him? Do you need to receive his mission into your heart? Do you need to trust his work on the cross for you and forgive you of your sins? Do you need to prioritize the the mountaintop and make a commitment to engage Jesus fully in worship? Do you need to hang on to his promise to walk with you down the mountain, into the valley, into everyday life? What do you need? Ask God to give it to you, and he will be faithful to give you what you need to be faithful to him on the mountain and in the valley. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into this incredible moment in the life of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have, you have revealed his identity to us through the pages of Scripture that he's our Lord, he's your son, he is our redeemer, our savior. We thank you for showing us his mission in the pages of scripture that he came to die for the sins of the world and redeem us and renew us and make us new. So Lord, I pray that each one of us today would commit to, to worshiping Jesus with the fullness of who we are, and that we would commit to walking with Jesus in every aspect of our lives. We thank you, God, for this glimpse of Jesus. Now, make it so in the depth of our hearts that we may see him and experience him in a brand new way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.